throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, you find God using angels. You find a lot about angels, that they work behind the scenes. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, the very last verse about angels, are they not ministering spirits? The word ministering means servant. Are they not serving spirits sent to minister to those who have salvation? So if you are here today and you have salvation, there are angels that are sent to serve you, to minister to you. Now, I believe that that is in the case of the work that we are doing for Christ. That is, we are, we are doing the gospel. We're, we're the light. We're the salt. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. I believe that God uses angels for the very work uh, that we are called to do. But we know that angels were all around the life of Jesus. A lot of angels around his birth, a lot of angels around his resurrection and his ascension, and in the middle of his ministry, we're told that Jesus was tempted by the enemy after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and then angels came and strengthened him. And I like that thought. Then later on, on the night that he was arrested, after he prayed, and the Bible tells us that his sweat fell like great drops of blood on the ground, the Bible says that angels strengthened him. I wonder if you've ever been strengthened by angels. I wonder if there's ever been a point in your life where you are just distraught or like the psalmist, you would say, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Sometimes we think that if we get depressed, if we get distraught, if we just feel like we don't know what to do with life, that we're somehow doing something wrong. I don't know that that's the case because the psalmist had the same thing. And if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with being at the bottom and you just don't feel just, you, you just feel just distressed, then go to the Psalms because there's so many of them. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? And may God strengthen you with angels. Now, there's the, the comfort of Christ as well or the encouragement of Christ as well, but God can do what God does through angels and I believe that he uses them in our lives in ways that we don't even really grasp or understand. So when we come to this particular, these particular passages, we have three different announcements, at least two different angels, although there might only be one angel involved, and we'll get into that here in just a moment. So we are going to be looking today at the announcement of John the Baptist being born to Zechariah, the announcement of Jesus being born or, or conceived to Mary, and the announcement to the angels that a child had been born and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. And we learn something distinct from each one of them, something in particular. We learn several things from them, but something distinct among each one of them. Let's start with Zacharias. Let me give you some background on Zacharias first. Uh, number one, he's a priest. He's a priest that works in the temple. And there were a lot of priests that lived in Jerusalem. In fact, they have excavated the area in Jerusalem where the priests live and there are a lot of houses. There were a lot of them that lived in that area. There were so many that there were just a few jobs you did for the temple. When you, when you would take care of the inner inside of the temple, there were only a few things to do. You could take care of the candelabra. You had to be lit and, and new oil put in it every day. You could take care of the table of showbread. There were 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel and God's provision, right, bread. And you could go and you could take out the old bread and put in the new bread. Or you could go in and put incense or burn incense on the incense burner that was in the temple. It was like an altar. It was an altar of incense that was smaller. Outside of the temple in Jerusalem was a huge altar 
where they sacrificed hundreds of animals, but inside was this small incense that was right in front of the curtain, and behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, during the days of Jesus, Zacharias is there, the Ark of the Covenant is not there, but that's where it's supposed to be, is right behind that curtain. Now, this altar of incense represents prayers. We know that because we're told that in the book of Revelation, that the incense in heaven is the prayers of the saints. Now, I like that thought because it tells us that our prayers don't just dissipate. Sometimes when we're praying, we think, well, I prayed and, and now I'll, I'll pray again. And I'm not saying you don't continue to pray because we do. We continue to fill heaven with our, the incense of our prayers. But our prayers are always around. They are always there. That's the idea. Just as the incense in the temple filled that place, our prayers fill heaven. And so now we come to, oh, and Zacharias is old. Okay, that's the other thing you need to know. He's an old guy. I don't know how old, but you can listen to his words here. So verse 11 of Luke chapter 1 says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So it's connected to prayer. And it's pretty funny because you got to think that this in some way is maybe a joke that Gabriel's playing on Zacharias. Because he's like, he could have... He could have appeared to Zacharias in a less frightening way. But to go, Zacharias is going into the temple where no one is supposed to be and standing by the incense altar is not just somebody, but Gabriel, an angel. And Zacharias is like, ah, he's frightened. He could, have, he could have come in while he was already there. He could have come in and started to do his work and then Gabriel could have come in, made a few noises, been, you know, whatever. I don't know if there's an easy way to do it. But... Um, it says the angel of the Lord stands by this, um, uh, this incense altar. And then it says in verse 12, And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Which makes me feel bad for this old man. That fear fell on him. And I think maybe Gabriel chuckled. In verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. The incense altar, prayer in heaven, the angel standing by it, your prayer has been heard. And I wonder if Zacharias thought, I wonder which prayer. Well, he didn't have to wait long. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. The reason many are going to rejoice at the birth of John the Baptist is because Zacharias and Elizabeth are old really old. Zacharias is going to say, I'm old and you should see my wife. <laughs> now that's my paraphrase, but I'm telling you, you'll see it. That's what he says. In fact, when he says, when, when Gabriel says, your prayers have been heard, your wife is going to conceive and bear a child and you're going to have great joy, Zacharias could have went, that's an old prayer. That's a prayer I haven't prayed for a long time. And maybe that even is an emphasis on the power of our prayers, that we can pray them and years later, God can answer them. God doesn't forget them. Our prayers don't dissipate. They are still there. It's not, again, I'm not saying we don't pray regularly and pray over and over for the same thing because I think that we should fervently. But I love that this prayer that Zacharias thought would never be answered all of a sudden is being answered. And so they're going to rejoice at his giving birth. It's like, it's, it reminds me of Sarah. 
Sarah's old when she gives birth to Isaac, and they name Isaac Laughter. Probably because while she was pregnant, people were laughing. Because she's an old woman. Hey, we had a baby and have a baby. Here's my baby Isaac, laughter, you know? And people would laugh. Everybody would laugh. You, you had a baby. And so it's like that. As they, they rejoice at his birth. And then verse 15. For he will be great. John, Jesus says of John the Baptist that he is the greatest of all the prophets. Of all the prophets, John is the greatest. So the, the angel knows this about John. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink and will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, many believe that this means that John took the vow of a Nazarite from birth, like Samson. They would be the only two that we know about in the Bible. So the law of the Nazarite was, have you ever just felt at a distance from God? Have you ever just had a point in your life where you feel dry, you feel like you're in a desert. You used to really be spoken to well by God. You had a lot of emotions, but you just don't feel them very much anymore. Well, if you were in the Old Testament, you could take the vow of a Nazarite. In order, and what you're saying is, I want to give you this time. And you did a couple of things. Number one, you shaved your head so that the hair that would grow during that time would be a symbol of you living for God. Number two, you weren't to touch any dead body. A lot of us go, no problem. Don't want to do that anyway. Number uh, three, you weren't to drink any wine or strong drink. In fact, you weren't even supposed to touch grapes, it says of the vow of the Nazarite. And then number four, you're not to cut your hair. So during the time of the Nazarite vow, you didn't cut your hair, which kind of gives us an interesting picture of John. Now, Jesus did not take the Nazarite vow. Some believe that because he was Jesus of Nazareth, that that's a Nazarite vow. But we know it's because he's from the city of Nazareth which either means guard hill or branch in Hebrew. And so Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus the branch or Jesus the, the guard, our, our guardian, our guard, the one who stands on top of the guard hill. One of those two would be the reference. But somebody in the past got confused and painted him with long hair. And I hate, I, I'm going to ruin another thing about Christmas for you. You picture Jesus growing up having long hair. Guys wore their hair short in those days. And because he is Jesus of Nazareth, People in antiquity thought that he was a Nazarite, so painted him with long hair. Now, John is going to drink neither wine nor strong drink. He's going to be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will, turn the heart, the, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, which is a great ministry, turning people to their God whom they have, for whatever reason, turned away. And then in verse 17, so will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah... And that's a little confusing. Jesus said, Elijah is going to come. But if you can handle it, John is Elijah. John the Baptist is Elijah. To which I say, I can't handle it. I don't get it. How Elijah is going to come and John's Elijah. So I just go, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And however the rest of that works out, God's business. And then he says that he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, which was a promise in the Old Testament that before the Messiah, Elijah was going to come to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, that's a great statement and a great promise for a child that's going to be born. And wouldn't you like to have that kind of a prophecy over a child that you have, that he's going to be great, he's going to be used by God, all of these things. So Zacharias has a problem, though. He's old and Elizabeth is old. So Zacharias brings this up with Gabriel. He says, and Zechariah said to the angel, 
How shall I know this? Now that's his question. How am I going to know this? Now Gabriel's response is going to be, because I said so, like so many parents with kids. Because I said so, that's how you're going to know this. But listen to, how will I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. I don't know that that's the way that you want to, you know, introduce your wife no matter how old she is. But it's obviously talking about childbearing. She's past the years of bearing children. Now, it seems to me a reasonable suggestion, a, a reasonable problem. Like, okay, there's a problem here. You've given me this, but I'm really old and you should see my wife. And there's a problem. But Gabriel seems to get upset. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Which <laughs> just cracks me up. You're questioning me? Like, how are you going to know this? I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you to bring you these glad tidings. And notice, this is good news. This is glad tidings that he's bringing him. But behold, now there's a switch. You will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Can angels do that? Can angels cause us to be mute or, or touch us physically? I, I don't know all the theology that's wrapped up into this, but I know I don't want to make angels mad now. Angel comes to me with a message. I'm like, I believe you. I really do. There's some problems, but I believe you. It's going to happen. And then he says, because you did not believe the words which will be fulfilled in their time. So he made Gabriel make Zechariah mute for over nine months because there's got to be enough time for them to be pregnant. Then there's got to be time for them to have the baby. So it's over nine months that he makes him mute. So what do we learn, first of all, from Gabriel in his appearance to Zechariah? That God answers prayers. Your prayer has been heard. The incense altar, standing by the incense altar. The Bible also says outside of the temple were people gathered together to pray at the hour of the burning of the incense. So they would gather together as a symbol of prayer. Your prayers have been heard. This is God's message to us from this angel too. Your prayers are heard. Sometimes we just kind of lack faith. And when we lack faith, we don't pray. I, I believe there is prayerlessness that is a problem. And the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. And Jesus said, ask and keep asking and you will receive. Knock and keep knocking and the door will be opened. Seek and keep seeking and you will find. We want to continue to pray because God answers prayers. So now we come to Mary. We see that there's another emphasis here. It's the same angel. We learn that right away in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, so notice this is already different than the Zacharias thing. The angel is there when Zechariah comes in no one's supposed to be there. And he's like, ah, terror falls upon him, it says. But he comes in. It, it reminds me of when I'll startle my wife. Like, I don't know, I must prowl around the house like a cat because I'll walk up behind her and say, hey, what are you doing? Ah, she'll scream. I didn't hear you. So I try to make noise now when I'm coming up so I don't startle her. I, th I wonder if Gabriel was like, I don't want to, this, this, you know, uh, women who were betrothed were 14, 15 years old. So I wonder if Gabriel was just like, I don't want to scare this, you know, young lady. So I'm, I'm going to make a little noise, a little wing ruffle, whatever. I don't know. So I don't scare. So it says, and, um, but, uh, 
Okay, so he says, um, and he came in, and the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. By the way, what amazing four things to say to her. Number one, rejoice. Number two, highly favored one. She was highly favored. Why was she highly favored? Because God had chosen her to be the one to raise the Messiah. We'll even go further than that. The Old Testament clearly teaches that the Messiah is going to be God. Emmanuel, God with us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. In Micah 5, 2, it says, when uh, out of Bethlehem will come the ruler who will rule my people, whose days are from old. The New Testament teaches it as well. Jesus prayed in John 17, 5. This is before, he, b before he's arrested. He prays, Father, may you restore the glory that I had with you before the foundations of the world. Jesus prays that the glory that he had with God before the world was ever made. So we know that Jesus is God. Literally, she's highly favored in that she is the mother of God. She, she raises a perfect child. Maybe you thought you raised a perfect child. She raised the perfect child. And I wonder if James and, and Simon and Joseph, jo uh, Joseph and Judas, who were all half-brothers of Jesus, I wonder if they ever said to, to Mary, you think Jesus is perfect. And she'd be like, well, uh, well, it kind of is. And so, and, and then uh, the Lord is with you. God was with her. And blessed are you among women. She wasn't blessed above women, but she was blessed among women. And I've got to think of all of the ministry roles that a, a woman could play, and there's a lot of great ones. I've got to think that this is the greatest of all the roles. And she would pay a price for it because she would have a prophecy that a sword was going to pierce her soul and she would stand at the cross and see the son that she had raised, crucified, murdered, and died, or laying down his life as a sacrifice and dying. So these four things are said. So that confused her. So in verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. She wasn't troubled at the appearance of an angel. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting was this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Now, theologians argue, and that might not surprise you that theologians argue. Okay, they argue about a lot of things. But as to exactly what God did inside of the womb of Mary. Did he, did he, did he go in and fertilize supernaturally in her womb the egg so that Jesus carried Mary's DNA with him? Maybe. Kind of probably think so. Did he go in and altogether put in a, what, what's, what, a zygote? Is it a zygote before an embryo? You're a zygote first? The doctors that are in the house, am I right? Am I wrong? I'm right, huh? Yeah. So zygote, did you go in and put a zygote inside of, Jesus as a zygote inside of her? Or, or how exactly did he do it? Well, we don't know, but it's done supernaturally inside of her womb. So it's a virgin that gives birth. And then it says, and shall call his name Jesus, which is God is salvation. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The angels knew who he was. Gabriel knew this is the son of the highest. Demons know it as well. Remember in the New Testament, you've got that, the legion passage. 
where Jesus asks the demon, what's your name? And the demon says, my name is Legion. Of course, he says it like, my name is Legion. That's what he says it like, but he says, my name is Legion. This guy, this demon possessed, lived in a cemetery. They tried to tie him with chains, but the chains wouldn't hold him. He'd break them. He ran around harassing people in the area naked. So you've got a demon-possessed man with superhuman strength running around naked. And the Bible says when Jesus showed up at the, at the beach of the Gadareans, that this man ran at Jesus. They just ran full force towards him. So that I think the disciples are getting out of the boat and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, there's a naked crazy man running right at us, full speed. And he falls on the ground and he says something along the lines of, what have, have you to do with me, O son of the most highest? It's something along those lines. He, he admits he knows who Jesus is. The demons saw him and knew it. The angels knew it. And so the angel tells us here that he will be great and he will bring forth his son. He, he will be the son of the, the highest. And um, he goes on. He says, and the Lord God will give him the throne of your father, David, which is the Messiah. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and all of, and of his kingdom. There will be no end. All of this that Gabriel is bringing has, is, is a, is kind of like has foreshadows that are in the Old Testament. So in other words, in Daniel chapter 7, when the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and is given dominion and power, it also says, and a kingdom forever. And you can find other places in the Old Testament that will use this kind of verbiage, the same kind of verbiage here. So it's of the Messiah. All of the Old Testament prophecies would have been connected. I bring that out because we don't necessarily see it when we read it. But they did. In their day, in the days of Jesus, before and after even, in Israel, they memorized most of the Bible. We have great abilities to memorize. We just don't do it anymore. Because we have phones. We can say, what, who, who sang this song? And we can learn whatever we want to know. But they memorized large sections of the Scriptures. And to them, they would have seen the Old Testament in what the angel Gabriel said. And that was on purpose. And so Mary now, she brings up an objection. And we want to say to Mary, be careful, Mary. This guy just made a guy mute for over nine months. Be careful. But he's nicer to Mary. I'll just let you know up front. He's nicer to Mary than he is to Zechariah. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I've never known a man or I don't know a man? That means I've never had sex with anyone. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, this is how we know that Jesus and John the Baptist were related. Elizabeth, Elizabeth your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for who, who, her who was barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. That's the second thing we learn. From Gabriel to Zechariah, we learn your prayers have been heard. To Mary, we learn nothing will be impossible with God. And interestingly enough, he's not talking about the virgin birth. He's talking about the old, the old lady having a baby. That's what he's talking about. Nothing will be impossible. Now you put those two together. Your prayers are heard and nothing will be impossible. We ought to be those who, who pray, who seek God. One of the things that we're wanting to do here at the church and hopefully can be done this year or maybe early next year is we want to have a prayer app for the church so that we can, when we have crisis, we can put it up on the prayer app and the rest of us can be praying for them. 
So it will also have a section where you can make a list of people to pray for that don't know the Lord and a list of your own prayer needs. All of this will just be in one prayer app that we're wanting to build. Maybe there's something, I got to look again, but there, there, the, the prayer apps that are out there don't really work for what we're wanting them to work for. We want them to be a community that we can look at this app together and pray together for these things. But, um, and I've shared this before, but when maybe one of the easiest things to do, and I do this on, on my phone, is I, I have a note that's entitled prayer on my phone. And when I'm standing in line, wherever, Chipotle, Chipotle, whatever it is, I, I look at the, when I pick my phone up to look at it, because we all do that, one of the first things I'll do is open my prayer app and browse through it and pray for the people that are there, pray for the things that are there. Just an encouragement, maybe, you know, some practical application. Doesn't matter if you have an Android or an iPhone or whatever, you, there's a place to put notes. That could be a good place, a good way for you to make sure you pray. But these are the two things so far. Your prayers are heard and with God, nothing is impossible. Now we come to the announcement to the, the shepherds. And that's in chapter two, same book, chapter two. We don't know this angel's name. Maybe it's Gabriel. We don't know. It says in verse eight, now there were in the same country, shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, not only is this an appearance of an angel, but all around them is the glory of the Lord shining. Now, I think that there's a connection here because the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus made himself lower than the angels and became a man, even a servant, and obedient to death. And we know that he laid his glory aside. When he came, was born as a baby, he didn't have the glory of God. He is God. When he returns the second time, the sky's going to part and he's going to come through in all of his glory. But as he came as a human the first time and laid aside his glory. But around these shepherds and shepherds of all people, shepherds were considered to be lowly. Rich people weren't shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shines around them. And here's what they say. The glory of the Lord shines around them and they were greatly afraid and the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now, this reminds me of Gabriel saying to Zacharias, I brought you these good tidings. And, and you question me, right? That's kind of how Gabriel says that. But here the angel just says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The, the, the gospel is good news. Sometimes there are those that criticize and say that we pastors can focus too much on the love of God and the, the desire that God has for you, the love that God has for you, over God's judgment and his wrath. And both have to be taught. Don't, don't make no mistake. Both need to be taught. But you can't neglect either one. You cannot neglect the, that God loves you. God loves you while you're still a sinner. The Bible says God demonstrated his love for you that he died for you. That's the cross. It's the demonstration that he died for you while you were still a sinner. He did not die for you on your best day. There might be a day that you might like to say, God, I'd like this day to represent me on, on judgment. He died for you on your worst day. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world 
And there's no doubt that God cares for you. And so these are, this is good tidings of great joy for all people that anyone who receives Christ can have eternity, can be transformed, can discover what God really meant when, when he created man and what he wanted life to be. And so it goes on to say, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. So the angels know he's a savior. Why? Because Isaiah 53, 6 says that God is going to put on him the iniquity of us all. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So he's our savior. Who is Christ the Lord, he says. The word Christ there is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. So uh, we could put it this way. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Messiah the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. Now, the sign here is that you don't normally lay babies in mangers. A manger is a feeding trough or a watering trough. And so we know there was no room in the inn. So they found themselves either staying in the room. So oftentimes they would build the barn underneath the house and build the house on top. So maybe that's what Jesus was in. Maybe he was in a cave with a house nearby, but he's with the animals where the animals are staying. And, and that's where Jesus is born. And they lay him in a manger because that's what's there. And it's meant to be humble. It's meant to show that he's not afraid to get near animal saliva. And he's not afraid to get near you and I in all of our, in all of our awfulness. Whatever awfulness there is, he's not afraid to get near any one of us. And so then it says, verse 13, and suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, so on top of this angel appearing with the glory of the Lord around him, now there's a host of angels around them and they're not singing. I'm going to destroy another one of your Christmas ideas, maybe a Christmas card. Talks about the angels singing. The angels don't sing here, they say, okay? And there may be a reason for that, but we won't get into that now. But here's what they say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. What's the third thing that we learn from angels as they appear before these shepherds? God has good will towards man. The Bible says God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. He says that not once, but twice. I think it's Titus and, and 1 Peter or 2 Peter. It's somewhere twice in the New Testament. The Bible tells us that God has that great love for you. God's on your side. Now, I'm not saying that you can't live your life in such a way that God wouldn't be against you because that, I, that wouldn't be fairly representing the scriptures. What God cares about most, there's two things that can God, cause God to be against you. One of them is pride. God reveals himself to the humble and he is against the prideful, but he's on the side of the humble. So if you are a really prideful person, then God's not going to reveal himself to you. He shows truth to the humble. So the key here is for you to humble yourself. The second thing is the way you treat people. What matters to God most is the way we treat people. And, and if you're abusive to people, that can put you on God's bad side pretty quick. The Bible says the mercy you give is the mercy you're going to receive. The judgment you give is the judgment you're going to receive. If you forgive people, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive people, you won't be forgiven. So the whole idea is the way you treat people around you is the way God will treat you. And, and, and eventually someone will say, well, that's karma. 
No. No, it's not karma. Karma is when you, you do something bad in this life, so you return as a cockroach in the next life. That's karma. Karma has to do with reincarnation. Look it up. It has to do with reincarnation. This is a biblical principle of sowing and reaping. God says the way you treat people is the way, this is a paraphrase, but we find this taught in Scripture, the way you treat people is the way you're going to be treated. Now, putting that aside, God has goodwill towards you. God wants the best for you. God wants you to find eternity. Even if he's against you now, even if you're abusing people, there's no sin that cannot be forgiven. The only sin that won't be forgiven is the one that is not confessed. God's on your side. What a good thing to know. And maybe something that isn't taught enough and that we learn from the Christmas story. God has good will towards you. And the gospel is good news, not bad news. The good news is God wants to work in your life and God wants to do a work with you. Now, what do you do to find this goodwill? And by the way, let's, let's put these three things that we learn from these three different announcements, angel announcements together. Your prayers are heard. With God, nothing is impossible. And God has goodwill towards you. Peace and on earth, goodwill towards man. God wants goodwill in your life. Now, what do you do if, if you've never come to Christ? And you might say here today, well, I've never invited Christ into my life. I've never been born again because I go to church, because I'm a good person. I don't need to be born again. But I want to just point out to you the obvious. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. How do we know that? A lot of people grew up in church and they're obviously not Christians. A lot of people have been in church and they're obviously not Christians. And you may even know them. That's why people will say, I don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. My uncle was a deacon in the church and he did this, this, and this, and they'll name it off. So going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Someone said there's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. There's only children. Each one of our children has to receive Christ themselves. And so here's how it works. We are given the, the ability to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And then God draws you. And you respond positively. You invite him in. God's the first one to draw. You respond positively. And then you are born again and you are transformed. When that happened to me, almost 14 years old, as a 14-year-old, as a I was transformed. I suddenly wanted to go to church. I didn't want to go to church before that. But I suddenly wanted to go to church. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to know about God. I wanted my life to be used by him. It was changed. Now, everybody has to be involved in this. You have to say yes. God has to say yes. It's like a marriage. If, if I'm doing a marriage with someone and I say, will you blah, blah, blah. That's not what I say, but blah, blah, blah. And they say, I will. And I say, will you blah, blah, blah. And they say, no, I won't. Then I got to say, I don't know why we're here because you guys aren't getting married. Because it has to be both agreeing. And that's what happens in salvation. God draws you, John 6, no one comes to the Son unless the Father first draws him, and you responding to God and saying, I want you in my life. So you have to say to him, Lord, I want you. It's possible that he could draw you and you would go, nope, I don't want you. And if you don't want him, he's not going to make you. He's not going to be like, get up to heaven and stay there. <laughs> I mean it. If you say, I don't want to follow him, you don't have to. But for every person here, you could say, come into my life. It's interesting, and pastors have pointed this out, 
that Jesus never returned down, turned down an invitation to a meal. Didn't matter who it was. Tax collector or Pharisee, they were like, come eat at my house. Jesus was like, I'm there. I think it's more that Jesus doesn't turn down our invitations. And, if, and, and for everyone in here, if you'll say to him, Lord, I want you in my life, he'll transform you and change you. He will cause you to be born again. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a religious man, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Then he went on to say, you must be born of the flesh and of the spirit. I know you guys have been born in the flesh because I see you. If, if I, you, if you were born of the flesh, you wouldn't be here. All of you have been born in the flesh. Now you've got to be born of the spirit. In the very next chapter, Jesus says, the time is coming when those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. If you are not born of the Spirit, you cannot worship Him. The way you are born of the Spirit is in John 1, verse 12. As many as receive Him, this is the receiving of Him, inviting Him in. As many as receive Him, He gives the right to become a child of God to those who are called by His name. And if you have never invited Christ into your life, I want to give you that opportunity before you leave here. But I find all kinds of encouragement for, for us in these Christmas accounts that God hears our prayers. That's encouraging. May we pray more because of it, that nothing is impossible to God. May we trust Him to do the impossible because nothing is impossible to Him. And peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And we, as Christians, are His representatives. We are light. We are salt. We've been given the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these three different angels and the three different announcements. Thank you that we can learn from them about you. And what a great reminder that our prayers are heard, that nothing is impossible with you, and that you have goodwill towards people. And Lord, I pray for those that are here that may have thought that God was angry with them or may have thought that God didn't love them. How important for them to know that God wants them to turn and come to him. And I pray you give them boldness to take the next step. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.